Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that goes higher, further, faster, baby. I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. And I'm Southern Fried Scholar, Dr. Kelly Jones of Chipperish Media. Together, we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the cosmic of the MCU. So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to give you a hot take on Captain Marvel. So before we jump into this hot take, it's fully spoiled. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff in this movie. So if you haven't seen Captain Marvel yet, you might want to skip this episode and come back later. Okay, first of all, a-holes, let's say a warm welcome to our guest co-host on this episode. Lonnie could not make it to Captain Marvel, and you people are already bugging the shit out of me on Twitter and in Discord <laughs> about getting a Captain Marvel hot take. So we tagged Kelly Jones of Chipperish's Angel the Series podcast, Still Dead. She is tagging in here because she now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, loves Captain Marvel. So, Kelly, welcome. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. And I am tickled to report that I went to see this before you did. You absolutely did. And I will blame my family for this. I tried <laughs> to get my wife to take off work so we could go and she wouldn't do it. And then she goes to the gym for like four hours every Saturday morning. And so I had to wait until Saturday afternoon. And so a whole bunch of people saw this before me. And you know what? That's fine. I still haven't seen Ant-Man and the Wasp because I, oh, we, we, I saw that. we live in this glorious time of riches when I can skip superhero stuff and get to it eventually. <laughs> I haven't seen Aquaman yet either. It's fine. I have also seen that. Um, well, that's what you get for being married to a superhero because your wife sounds like a badass. She's pretty great. I'm anxiously awaiting a She-Hulk movie because She-Hulk is my wife's Patronus. Oh, okay. Awesome. Uh, yeah, that would be fun to watch. Well, I went with a friend of mine who is like a total badass. She's my black belt self-defense instructor and she does a lot of like she's even taught some acting fight scenes oh yeah and so i love going to see superhero movies with her because i'll be like okay can that really happen like can somebody really fight like that like and she knows and she'll explain <laughs> some of the fight scenes when they have super um, strength for damn sure well yeah i mean you get blasted with like cosmic engine stuff you can do whatever you want but <laughs> um but it was very important to me to see this on international women's day so i yes. was really really excited and it sold out everywhere around here um we got two of the last seats in the theater but it was so much fun so i am super happy to be hot taking with you about this movie because i loved it okay here is where i would normally do some four color facts but i am going to do two cheaty things to get out of doing that First of all, I am going to refer you all to my podcast where I really unpack complicated superhero stuff through the lens of a particular story. And I just wrapped up a series on Captain Marvel, Earth's Mightiest Hero, which is very much the introduction of the closest version of this character to what we get on screen. And what's more, if you want to just skip to one episode, so you don't want to read the whole series, but you want to get an idea of Carol's long storied history, I had a guest lecturer at Superhero University, a sci-fi fangirls contributor named Sarah Sentry, who loves Carol Danvers and has read every appearance of hers, and she comes in and she just breaks it down. Sarah was a delight to have on the show, and she tells you everything 
And the other cheat that I'm going to do is a bunch of this is going to come up in conversation with Kelly, I think. So like the <laughs> highest of high points are going to get hit here, I'm sure, because Kelly has questions. I do. But if you want the deep details, pop on over to Superhero University and give that a listen and then send lots of thank yous to Sarah Sentry for showing up and making me look good. Okay, that's it. No four color facts. <laughs> that's all. I, they're going to come up. I know they're going to come up. Um, but Kelly, we usually also do a production history, but you have prepared a little tidbit of news, I believe. A little bit. Yeah, I was able to look at the revenues from last night. Uh, so we're, we're recording this on Saturday, March 9th. It opened yesterday, March 8th. So on opening night, it brought in $61,382,000. Uh, about $20 million of that was from the Thursday previews. And then that was in the U.S. And then it brought in an additional $127 million worldwide. Very impressive. Yeah. I think my favorite headline I've seen from this was from Forbes, where they said, Captain Marvel's superhero fatigues itself to box office record. And, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> Right one on. of the one of the headlines I saw said, "Captain Marvel saves U.S. box office." <laughs> I thought, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think you can tell, a holes from our just joyous sounding voices that we both really, really loved this movie so much, so much. I would declare it top tier Marvel origin stuff. Yes, I would agree. Like I'm not gonna like rocket it to the very top of the possible list although it's I, I always have to think about this it's almost certainly in my top five mm -hmm. of all of them mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure yeah i try not to think too hard about it but as far as origin stories go this is one of the best yeah and i i think when i think about now i do not have your superhero knowledge or your com, you know comic knowledge or any of that i'm I guess a casual fan of Marvel. I, I really like the Marvel movies, but my favorites have always been the Avengers because I just love that team coming together and, you know, Loki um, and then Black Panther. So I felt <laughs> yeah. like Black Panther raised the bar in a lot of ways, especially the way that I want to see women represented on screen. Yes. And so I went in with higher expectations for Captain Marvel than I may normally have. And I am pleased to report that I sat there and grinned the entire time. Um, the theater where I was, people cheered and clapped. And there were certain parts where everybody laughed and yelled out things to the screen. Um, and it was really great to hear that kind of response. And I overheard a conversation between a father and son as I was leaving. And I guess the little boy was about 10. And he said something like, well, I heard a lot of people don't like this movie. You know, why didn't they like it? And his dad was like, well, it's like a feminist thing, like an anti-feminist thing. Like they don't want to watch a movie about a girl. And his son just frowned at him. And I was <laughs> like, yes, like, yes, bring them to this movie. Like watch this young, watch this, normalize this, make this like, hell yes. I want these kind of women on screen. Um, and it and it just made me so happy. And the, the guy, when he was walking out, I guess he caught me like I was listening to them because we were in line getting out of the theater. And he kind of smiled at me and he goes, I mean, if Wonder Woman can do it. <laughs> I just got kind of tickled. I was like, I think I like this a lot better than Wonder Woman. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to say something here that there's kind of an inevitable 
comparison between Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman because we don't have any other female-led superhero movies. Right. And at the same time, I'm not going to do it. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I'm just, this is not shade for you. I'm just going to say I'm not going to do it because it is also kind of an artificially created competition, right? Like, there should be a dozen of these female-led superhero movies for us to argue about but because there's only two like this is completely legitimate like i will i will dead ass look you in the face and wonder why thor's origin was so damn boring when they've clearly done better things with iron man and captain america right Mm -hmm. and because there's whatever 20 movies all of them but this one mcu alone you know led by men that's not a weird thing anyway so i just i just want to say i'm going to try and not do that not because it shouldn't be done like there's absolutely a critical space to compare and contrast these two approaches and not so that i can say bad job kelly i'm just i'm not gonna play you know what i'm saying like you're probably actually in a safer space to do that in a lot of ways than i feel like i am and it's funny because i wasn't thinking about wonder woman like i didn't correlate the two movies at all in my head i was just listening to the response of people coming out of the theater right um but it 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 amused me that that was the immediate comparison um because you're right we just don't have enough of these movies um but i think the way that they portrayed not just carol but all of the women in this movie was really fantastic Oh, every woman in this movie is a badass, yeah. including the bad ones. Yes. Like the ones we're not rooting for are still amazing. They really were. They really were. And I especially was thrilled by the fact that the primary love story here was between Carol and her best friend, that we got this family type love story and not a romantic interest. Yes. That delighted me to no end. It is so interesting that you say that because I've really been wondering what they were going to do. I knew this was going to be an origin story. I had seen Carol in the Cree uniform that isn't her Captain Marvel outfit and all kinds of stuff that told me we were going to do origin story stuff. You know, Um, I mean, I say it that way because I'd actually like to see one of these superhero movies jump in with both feet and not do origin stuff. Mm hmm. I think the closest we get is like Black Panther and Spider-Man Homecoming both had track laid in Civil War. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Black Panther is still like hardcore and origin story. (laughs) And we've seen a bunch of Spider-Man ones. So good job not going hard for that. But but anyway, the reason I say all that is the lack of romantic interest is legit. Because let me tell you a shocking secret. (laughs) Annette Bening's character is a man. In the comic books, and they were a romantically entangled couple. Oh, God, I'm so glad they changed that. Well, I mean, I guess if Carol had a crush on Annette Benning, we would all totally get it. But yeah, it's just better, I, get, I think, if they do no romance in the other woman-led superhero movie. I think so, too. And I carried a strong enough torch for Annette Benning and Dr. Wendy Lawson throughout this entire movie to make up for it because oh my god she was amazing she was amazing she was so great but i love this there was a mentor relationship and there is a best friend relationship and you have mom and daughter and you have mom and you know pretty much an aunt and i loved that dynamic so much and i loved what it did for her character and i loved what it did for the movie and i just want to see more stories like this friendships are honestly pretty core to 
the 616 version of Carol. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it was really great to see that she had this close friend in Maria, that she had this mentor friendship relationship with Marvell instead of a romantic one, that mm -hmm. she was becoming that to Maria's daughter, Monica, that that they never flirted. And there was no friggin' moon eyes between her and Fury, which would have just been gross, you know? <laughs> no, but the, the scene of Fury singing while they were doing the dishes will always be one of my favorite things ever. Okay. Can we talk about how I'm shocked that Fury was still like, a happy person yeah, in really 1995. Yeah. Yeah. He was so. I really expected him to be a miserable bastard already. I know. He was so laid back. And, and I don't know how they do the CGI effects or whatever that make Fury and Coulson look so young. But it, it was just unbelievable. But he had this sort of almost joy about him, you know, and. It was really great to see that. Um, and then when, you know, when we first saw Coulson, I was like, oh, it's little baby Coulson. Like, look at the, <laughs> it was so great. This is so funny. I mean, I've been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now, and I was legitimately confused when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. came out, like why this needed to be a thing, because I had almost no chemistry with Coulson when he, like, he was fine when he showed up before, but then I was just like, we're building a show around him? And so I honestly, even now, I'm still like, okay, younger Coulson, cool story. I, it just doesn't do for me what it does for everybody else, which is fine. It's just entertaining. Yeah, I love Coulson, and I love Fury, and and I like what they did. Now, I don't have the the superhero language for this, but bear with me. Um, and, and sort of origin story slash identity space but i really like the way that they played with names in this movie so because yes. we had the very funny take from fury right nicholas fury and she was like well what does your mom call you and he said fury and she, <laughs> she was like yeah. well, what do your kids call you and he's like well if i ever have any they'll call me fury um but then with carol because her id you know her her dog tag was broken when her plane crashed mm -hmm. and so her best friend kept the carol part and yes. the Cree just got the last letters of her last name so it was like this identity was broken where both sides sort of held half of her and then the way that they let her put those back together and sort of decide for herself who she was going to be what she was going to be called how she was going to identify herself i loved that so much if there is a complaint for me in there, it's that nobody ever actually called her Captain Marvel. That's really upsetting to me. Yeah, I was honestly. confused about that. That was one of my questions for you. Well, this happens a lot. I mean, if you go and look like they say the words Captain America as few times as possible in First Avenger and they mm -hmm. say Iron Man even less mm -hmm. in Iron Man. Mm -hmm. Something is still in the MCU DNA where they are just a little bit embarrassed that they're making superhero movies. Just a little. <laughs> You know, just a bit, because why are we not calling her Captain Marvel? Why are we waiting till the end to even flirt with that? Especially right. when if you need to make it childish, because look, superhero code names are childish and it's fine. Mm -hmm. If you need to make it childish, you have Monica right there ready right. to call her Captain Marvel. It's fine. Yeah, I wondered about that, too. Um, but I loved at the end when we see Fury writing the draft, right, for the 
what did he call it? The Protector Initiative. The Protector Initiative. And yeah. then he's looking at that picture of Carol, you know, and her her handle or or the name on her plane was the Avenger, and then he named the Avengers after her, and I didn't know that, and that I thought was fantastic. That is MCU news. That has never been a comic book thing. So yeah, that's that's brand new. In fact. In fact, I was afraid they were going to make her call sign Warbird because Carol's had a lot of code names before she was Captain Marvel in the uh, 616 in the comic uh-huh. books. And Warbird was one of them. And Warbird was the worst time for that character by far. Oh, um, okay. And they had introduced Maria's call sign as Photon, mm-hmm. which is, wow, buckle up for this, friends. Her daughter, Monica, is one of the people who have been called Captain Marvel in the 616, but her better superhero name is Photon. I want that movie. I'm here for it. That I'm here for that, and I'm also here incredible. for the new Ms. Marvel. Yes, The absolutely. current Ms. Marvel is a delight. And if we could get some kind of a um, Carol mentoring Kamala or, or even Monica mentoring Kamala, anyway... Just, yeah, there's a lot There was a lot of good stuff there. Mm-hmm. But as far as the identity, I'm with you. The identity question is always at the core of every origin story. Like, who are you going to be? And the answer for a superhero is that you kind of have to make your own identity, right? Right. This subverts that by making her identity as Carol Danvers really core to it. And maybe that's why they didn't have somebody call her Captain Marvel. But at the same time, the movie is called Captain Marvel, damn it. Right. Because, like, how exactly did she get that name? Like they never really explained. I mean, Fury says Marvel because he's mispronouncing Marvel, which is yeah, okay. I guess. But she never adopts it. Like right. she doesn't take it. You right, know? right, so, right. Yeah. yeah, I was a little bit confused about that. Although I was glad. So I'm one of the people who went to see Infinity War having no idea what I was going into. I didn't know it was a two-parter. I was incredibly confused. It is not a two-parter. The Russo brothers have been clear on this. It's two separate movies. Yeah, okay. No, I think that's legit (laughs) because there is an honest-to-God beginning, middle, and end in Infinity War. You just don't like how it ended. Okay, that's true. But I didn't realize that that much was going to be left unfinished at the end. Yeah. You know, like I didn't know that going in. And I was really confused when Fury, you know, like the last thing he did was hit this weird looking pager, you know, (laughs) and I remember thinking, okay, I don't know who that is, but it looks really important. And that Fury spent his last seconds that he was still able to push that button as he was disintegrating, you know, really stood out to me. And so when she gave him that pager this time, I was like, okay, I understand it. That means she's coming back. And then we get to the, the little hidden clip at the end, and I was so excited. <laughs> Man, I really I really like the way she showed up there and just starts demanding everybody tell her what the actual hell is going on. Oh, yeah. She's in charge. That's beautiful. It was yeah. great. <laughs> it was great. I kind of had quiet hopes that she would show up in Endgame just beating the hell out of something that could that nobody else could beat, mm-hmm. you know? But mm-hmm. if we've got it's at least her it's her movie that the after credits scene is in. So yeah. it's it's fine. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. I really like that a lot. Um and I, I enjoyed Fury. This is probably my favorite Fury I've ever seen on screen. I've always liked him, but there was just something about that, you know, still this very hopeful mindset that he had that I really appreciated. I think that there is a really interesting discussion to be had about the character of Nick Fury and the arc that he personally goes through and that he spends 20 years looking for a hero, 
another hero, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and doesn't find one. And that that might be part of the reason that he becomes just such a downtrodden, miserable bastard over the time and thinks maybe we should put gunships in the air to shoot anybody that, you know, looks a little sideways at us. Yeah. Yeah. Spoilers that's... for Winter Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's a really valid point because the hero embodiment with her was exactly she sets the bar high right yeah very high yeah very high so yeah if i had if i had worked with her and then i had to recruit new talent and i was getting you know tony stark and thor i'd be like oh my god really like really (laughs) boy these are a lot of personalities and then you breathe a sigh of relief when captain america shows up you're like oh thank god and then one movie later he tears your whole organization down Questions, questions. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I wonder, hmm, now that I, I I was very confused. Uh, Confused is not right. Like, they make it clear, but I was just surprised that he was still so positive Mm -hmm. in this. And and that, I just kind of stumbled on a possible explanation. You spend 20 years hoping for another hero and you don't find one. Yeah. You're going to get tired. Yeah. And and I got the sense that this was his first interaction with or exposure to enemies from other planets so like he 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 wasn't carrying that weight before oh yeah so you know now that he has this deeper knowledge of all the huge threats that are really out there then i think carrying that in the way that he carries it has led him to become the grumpy bastard that we know and love today yeah well know and appreciate i guess (laughs) um i love him (laughs) i uh and he lost an eye and, and, you know, that takes a toll. I guess that's my other quibble. Mm-hmm. The tiniest quibble is that I'm like, that's the backstory for how Fury lost his eye. What a letdown. Oh, okay. This is probably the area where I have the most questions. Because I don't know anything about this creature that was the cat. Um, <laughs> it's a although, flurkin. It's a flurkin. Okay, I don't know what uh-huh. that is. Um but it's strong enough That's to... part of the gag, Kelly, so you're okay. You are right to be confused. I was just confused. But it's strong enough to swallow an infinity stone. It's incredibly smart. You know, it's a damn cute cat. And But I loved that moment when the Kree are scanning, like everybody on the, on the uh, yeah. spaceship, and they scan yeah. the, the cat, and they're like, threat level, high. And then they scan Fury, and they're like, threat level, none. <laughs> it was so <laughs> funny. It was so funny to me. Yeah, I really like that, too, especially his light affront, you know, like, well, that thing's obviously broken. Yeah. I'm very dangerous. Thank you. I know. It was great. He was just like, what do you mean? I'm I'm very obviously a very high threat. Um, and all of the like late 80s, 90s nostalgia in this movie delighted me to no end. I mean, they put the Terrasac in a lunchbox. Like, come on. And, a happy days. A yeah, Fonzie lunchbox. Lunchbox. And, and the, you know, all of the, I don't know, it, it, some of the plays on Top Gun. Like, the cat's name was Goose. And, like, it, <laughs> that kind of stuff was so great. Carol crashing into a blockbuster just was fantastic. <laughs> Using a payphone. Yeah, all the payphones was so great. And I kept thinking about Lonnie Dinerich uh, and her love for old technology. With the, you know, the CD that they had to wait to, like, boot up and load in the internet cafe that kept cutting her off because her dial-up connection was all, you know. I thought all of that was really fantastic, too. 
it's very it's very evocative. I really like you know that this is a different time than the rest of the movies, you know, right away. In in a similar way that you get in First Avenger, right? Mm-hmm. Like it is set up to not be now. And it, it it's more jarring to us in First Avenger because that's the 40s, but I'll tell you what, set somebody who's well, my kid who's 11 years old in there and he's like, "What?" <laughs> hey, what? You just had phones you dropped money into?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> You know, I had a pager because I was a cool guy. Yeah, you know. I had a pager too. And, and oh, Lord. there's no selfie taking and there's no, you know, any of that. Um, and, and one of the other things, I guess, watching this from the lens of, you know, the way that I, I wanted to see women portrayed on screen is I've really appreciated the costuming. Um, there was no unnecessary cleavage there was no oh you can only fight crime in a bathing suit um mm-hmm. when carol like ditched her spacesuit and stole the outfit off the mannequin it was awesome 90s grunge yeah. wear and that was so great and i loved that that biker guy outside of the store was like telling her to smile at him oh god and yes she waits till he goes inside and she steals his motorcycle and then she smiles <laughs> i just it so was good. so good. It was so good. No, the costuming is great. No woman is overly sexualized in this. Yeah. Not even in a way that I have found acceptable in the MCU before. Because mm-hmm. Lonnie and I have talked before about how Black Widow's pretty hypersexualized, but that's also sort of on brand for her. Right. It's in keeping with the character. That's one of the tools or weapons in her arsenal. Um, and it, 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 we have also discussed when it goes around the bend a little bit, mm-hmm. but but this is none of that. I mean, yeah, the the Cree uniform is buttoned up to the neck because it's a uniform for fighting in, right? You know, right? Um, it even has a helmet sometimes. Yeah, and when she decides to change the colors, you know, that she goes to Monica and gets that advice from a child to be like, okay, you know, help me out here. What, what do I want to represent? And they pick those colors together. And I, that was just fantastic to me too. There's some Easter eggs in there too, that they cycle through some other Captain Marvel options, but not ones that Carol wore. Oh, other Captain's Marvel. Okay. Wore them just, no, it's just for fun. But yeah, that she goes to Monica. That's another reason I feel like Monica would have been an amazing source for the name Captain Marvel, especially considering that comic book Monica has been a Captain Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. I would have liked to have heard the name somewhere in here. So yeah, this is all great stuff. Uh, do you want me to talk about Flurkins? Yes, because that was my biggest. I'm like, okay, I go to see this movie. It's amazing. I love it. And I come away with all these questions about a monster cat. So please <laughs> explain the Flurkin to me. Okay, that's really 100% appropriate because what what you have in the comic books, and this is all very recent, Carol is a character that dates back to the early 70s and as Ms. Marvel, like as her superhero self, dates back to 1977. So she's been around a minute. Goose, who is actually Chewy in the comic books because Carol is a giant Star Wars nerd. Mm. And so she named, and it's her cat, like from Jump. So she named it Chewy because it's her co pilot. You know how you do. <laughs> is very recent, a very recent addition. And part of Carol's more recent stories is that she had a mission in space that she went on by herself. She was basically the space Avenger, but she took Chewie with her because nobody else likes her cat and she didn't know when she would be coming back. And when they run into the Guardians of the Galaxy, Rocket Raccoon lays eyes on it and says, what the hell are you doing with that monster? And she goes, it's my cat. 
and rockets that's a flirkin <laughs> and nobody believes him like nobody even the rest of the guardians are like he's really weird about animals because people keep comparing him to one it's fine don't worry about it and he's like you need to get rid of that vermin before it lays eggs you'll be infested you'll be flirkins up to your eyes and much like the movie at a very opportune moment you realize that chewy is in fact a flirkin and he wrecks some dudes and then he also lays like 147 eggs later oh, um but the deal with them is that they Actually, they look like cats. They just look like earth cats. That's fine. But their digestive system is literally a pocket dimension, so they can swallow anything. Oh, like an infinity stone. Like an infinity stone or a bunch of friggin' Cree. Oh, God. So, see, now I'm I'm even more sad that Fury died with Thanos' horrible thing that he did because I want to see Fury walk up to Thanos and hold up that cat and the cat swallow him. I got to tell you, that's probably not going to go great for (laughs) for Goose. Thanos is a serious threat, but I like the image. I mean, that's we've actually heard from some a-holes in the Discord chat um, who wondered why Carol was showing up now and kind of felt like she was a deus ex machina, like she's just going to show up and punch Thanos. And I was like, that is a feature, not a bug. That is what we want from her. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, that's the good news. I want Thanos to just be nine shades of hell beaten out of him by Carol. That's mm-hmm. I'm here for it. I'm here so. for that too. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So this, yeah, it's all, it's all great stuff that the identity and the like the just accepting of some of the ways that people treat women that are not good but we don't we don't camp there you know what i mean like that that sort of like background radiation of sexism or misogyny is of course part of who carol danvers is but it isn't the point of this movie right so she definitely overcomes it and it but it also doesn't feel like it gets short shrifted you know it's not like we just nodded towards that stuff it's there and it's serious it's there and and from the very beginning i i started grinding my teeth a little bit about um i'm just gonna call him jew law yon uh his name is yon rog yon rog constantly you know lecturing her about controlling her emotions because i was like oh my god spare me this bullshit but the way that she subverted that you know, when she actually realized, you know, they kept telling her, the Cree kept telling her, we gave you these powers, we can take them away. And uh-huh. she realized, no, what they gave me was a limit on my powers. Yes. And, and, and she breaks free of that and she takes that controller out of her neck and she's like, my power, my emotion is actually part of this superpower that I have. And she completely claims that. And I was like, oh, hell Yes, like all of my initial irritation was worth the payoff when we get to that moment with her. Longtime listeners know that I love proper metaphors embedded in superhero stories. Mm -hmm. And that is a beautiful one where, I mean, you can actually see that Jude Law respects her capabilities. Yes. Yon Rog. Now you got me doing it. (laughs) But but the, the speech that he's giving her is so... It's actually pretty thoroughly Cree. I mean, you see that Minerva lives up to that expectation. So it's actually pretty thoroughly Cree. But we're Earth audiences. And what we're hearing is yet another asshole male Mm -hmm. telling a woman to get her emotions under control. Yeah. And the payoff is at it. It really is fantastic. It's possibly the only good irony smash I've ever seen in my entire life is the (laughs) 
<laughs> is the payoff of, of her not taking any more of Jan Rog's bullshit. Yeah. And when he's trying to get her, you know, let's put our super tools away and just fight. And he's on that huge speech like, you can't take me until you can do this and blah, 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 blah. And she just blasted him. Everybody in the theater just started cheering. And I was so damn happy. <laughs> like, yes, this is Beautiful. so good. It was so good. So I had questions about Monster Cat, which you have answered. Well, I mean, in as much as there are answers to them, yeah. like the gag you get in the movie was almost the same gag that you got in Captain Marvel's own comic book with the added bonus of he did eventually lay a whole bunch of eggs. <laughs> well, the other question that I had is about the Kree and the Supreme Intelligence, right? So in terms of brainwashing people or cultural reproduction or any of that, that form of that supreme intelligence, I think, was was brilliant in what it was doing. And and the fact that it appeared differently to each person, I found very compelling. But I was really curious why it would allow itself to appear as Dr. Wendy Lawson with some of the dangers that were inherent in Carol unlocking those memories. Was the supreme intelligence not able to help it? Like it's going to take the form of the person she most admires no matter what? Or did they just feel so confident in the brainwashing that they had done that they weren't worried about her remembering? Well, that's a really interesting question that I don't think has a textual answer. It's possible that that's just hardwired into the supreme intelligence. That would be kind of interesting as an answer to me, knowing what I know about the supreme intelligence. But I also think that they need her to remember some, mm -hmm. you know, like like there is a there is a suggestion that they haven't quite puzzled out whatever happened to her. Right. And that without the Tesseract, they have that's it. That's the only breadcrumb they have. So they do kind of need her to remember some stuff, but not everything. Mm -hmm. I don't know. My biggest answer is probably because we needed to use Annette Benning to her fullest. Oh, I agree with that completely. So there's a meta textual <laughs> reason. Although uh, comic book fans who listen to this show come along with me on this. You show me the actual look of the Cree Supreme Intelligence MCU, you cowards. Cowards. <laughs> so it does have an actual definite form. Yeah, it's a giant freaky weird face in a jar. Oh, that sounds about right. It is, it is the collective minds mm -hmm. of all of the Cree Empire's greatest thinkers, philosophers, artists, scientists, lawmakers, like all of the greatest people that have mm -hmm. ever lived in the Cree Empire are put into the supreme intelligence. Okay. Well, and I like the subversion between the Cree and the scroll too. I don't like my association with the Kree was that they're bad guys, like they're super evolved, but they're kind of evil and they like ruling people. Um, and so originally seeing how she was treated, you know, they, it looked like they took care of her, they trained her, they gave her these powers, they, you know, trusted her with these important missions, all that kind of stuff. I was like, okay, so maybe we're seeing the softer side of the Kree or I'm just confused. Um, but that she was still open enough or independent enough in her thinking to listen to another possible side of things from the scroll, I also really appreciate it. That was um, an honest-to-goodness surprise to me um, as a longtime comic book reader because the scrolls are generally the biggest assholes in the room unless the Kree are there. 
because they are the other biggest assholes <laughs> in the room. So turning that around and turning them into nearly powerless refugees was a real, is a great move for the plot of this film and also genuinely shocked me mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of what I thought I knew, you know. Yeah. I, I really And that Carol that. had that compassion for them is amazing. Amazing. Yes, absolutely. She did. And and I think that because I went back in my mind and I was like, okay, so we see the scroll show up. We see them impersonate people. Other than firing at her, did I actually see them unreasonably hurt anybody? And I think we saw a lot of byproducts of war in their behavior. You know, I mean, they were hacking into her brain and that's never okay. But they gave a rationale for why they were so desperate for the information that she had. So I'm not yeah, saying that that yeah. was justified, but but I could empathize with them a lot more. Yes, we can certainly understand the extremes that they might go to. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I thought that they did just a really good job of showing, you know, some individual humanity in, and for lack of a better word, individual humanity in the context of a huge intergalactic war and this wasn't just a shoot them up blow them up movie you know there were families and and people's lives that were tangled up in this in a way that you cared more about individual outcome I think at least I did than I have in a lot of the other Marvel movies even though I enjoy like the Hulk smashing and Thor's you know hammer and all that kind of stuff there was just something a little more emotionally evolved about this one that I think yeah, is a reflection of Carol. Yes. Yes, that's really good. That's really that's really true. Yeah. Yeah, the I think that inclusion of compassion, I mean that was supposed to be part of Thor's origin and I just didn't buy it. No, me neither. You know. Mm-mm. And that's definitely not part of Tony Stark, which is part <laughs> of Tony's problem. His ongoing problem of being the biggest villain in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Um, but it is very much part of Steve. It's very much part of Captain America, but because World War II is part of the giant lie that we still tell ourselves about it being a good war, mm-hmm. we don't really engage that. Right. You know. Right. Um, in fact, Wonder Woman, which this is this is not, this is a, a positive comparison, I guess. I thought Wonder Woman did that very well also in the village that she saves, you know. So it is interesting to get something that's a little more emotionally evolved in our lady-led superhero movies. That's pretty that's pretty great. I think so too because it's sh- it's showing emotional strength and not women's emotions as vulnerabilities. Yes. Which and and I do a lot of research on leadership development for my day job and there is so much research around the fact that companies that have women leaders do better. Um, that there there really is something to that. And I think so often what we think of as emotional intelligence or emotional agility, when it's put in female form, gets written off as overly emotional or hysterical or unreliable or all of these bad mm-hmm. words, you know, that we put around that. And we didn't see that from her. She She uses her emotional intelligence as well as her superpowers. She uses them as a superpower. Yes. And it was just fantastic to see that on screen. Nope, I agree. That is a gem from this film that I kind of wonder how much we're going to hear about going forward. You know, um, 
just how emotionally intelligent Carol is and how the only time that we really hear that as a negative, it's from Jan Rog, who turns out to be the biggest jerk. Yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a fantastic. Yeah. That's strong. I really, really appreciated that. And the way that he was gaslighting her. I was so happy when she just blasted him. It was fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) So say we all. That was that was some delightful. That was quite a moment. And I had one more little random moment of delight, but it just. It delighted me so much that I have to bring it up. But when she was um, questioning Fury to determine whether he was like a scroll or the real Fury, and she's yes. asking him all these questions, and then she's like, tell me something so weird that a non-human could never make it up. And Fury's like, I can't eat toast if it's cut diagonally. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that whole scene was just a delight because Fury's whole, so you shot a laser out of your hand. What's that supposed to prove? I don't know anything about you people. <laughs> And she's like, Scroll can't do that. Like, Scroll don't you know do anything? Cool. <laughs> it was so good. So I thought it would be fun for our listeners for you to convince me that you are not a scroll and tell us something so bizarre about you that no one else could possibly make it up. Oh, wow. You've put me on the spot. I know. Let's it's see. so much fun to put you on the spot live. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. What is something so bizarre? Does mortal dread of frogs count? Yes. Oh, please explain. Yeah, I have a mortal dread. I have a legit and constant mortal dread of frogs and toads. Oh, I'm very sorry to hear that. Will not touch, will not look at if given the option. It's not a phobia. Like, I don't have anxiety feelings and have to get away Mm -hmm. usually, but I won't. I won't. I don't fuck with frogs. That's not (laughs) happening. You heard it here first, listeners. (laughs) This is the real authentic human Joshua Unruh. No scrolls here, baby. No <laughs> scrolls here. Okay, before we go, the usual listen up a holes ending is what is your favorite part? So Kelly, have you already told us your favorite part? No, I was saving it for this moment. Okay, so I gushed about this earlier to Noel, and I got all choked up. So I'm hoping I can do this without getting all choked up because I don't know why it like made me cry, but I loved it that much. So at the end, when she's having her last fight with Jude Law, you know, and he's he tells her, you're only human. And then they do this great montage of, of her falling yes. down, right? She's a little girl yes. missing the ball at a Little League game. She crashes her go-kart. She's, you know, in military training, falling off that rope wall, you know, fall, 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 fall. And then it shifts and you see her get back up and get back up and get back up and get back up. And... There was something so powerful about that of our capacities as humans to stand the hell back up, that it was a choice that she made. It was part of who she was. And seeing it visually like that on screen, just it it was absolutely wonderful. And I loved it. And it was my favorite part, maybe of any Marvel movie that I've watched. That is pretty strong. I mean, I can't. I can't steal that one, right? I mean, it definitely <laughs> affected me. Because I've been doing such deep dives into Carol as a character lately, I think that I just had this moment that that is just, it is just a, a moment frozen in amber for me. Mm-hmm. And it's so small. But the first time that she fires her photon beams mm-hmm. and it knocks her backwards, there is a moment when Brie Larson just smiles to herself and that is the moment that she realized she might be able to fly yes 
Yes. They never, nobody says a word. And mm-hmm. then later she just decides to fly, you know, but, but there's just this moment. She shoots herself back and she looks really kind of like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? And then she gets this just really knowing grin, like, Oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do with that. Which I believed completely because she's a pilot. So she understands, you know, propulsion. She understands that physics. So it made so much sense to me that that would come so intuitively to her. And I thought that that was great. Well, besides that, she's going to go higher, further, faster, more. Yeah. You know, (laughs) and now she can do it under her own power. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It was fantastic. I also, um, I have two little sort of meta favorite parts Mm -hmm. that don't, that are from the movie, but not in the movie. Right. And one of them is that very early on, my son leans over to me and he says, Captain Marvel is my favorite Marvel superhero. Oh, yay. And and I was like, but Spider-Man has been your favorite superhero since you were born. And he goes, He's number two now. Oh, that's and awesome. I was like, all right. All right. <laughs> the other one was, is kind of peculiar to me. And I don't want to make myself sound like a big jerk about this. But the honest truth is, I did not spend the drive home rewriting any of this movie in my head. I didn't either. This never happens. I always do some rewriting in my head. There's always something. Um, and that's, I don't think that's me being nitpicky it's just i think about this stuff all the time you know and it was just like wow i there is there's nothing for me to dink around with that they stuck every landing and that's pretty pretty incredible pretty marvelous you might say (laughs) if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in come find us on twitter Kelly is at Dr. Kelly Jones, and I'm at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is listen up, a-holes. Both Chipperish Media and Pulp Diction Productions are entirely supported by listeners like you who have nothing to prove to anyone. Show your support by visiting our Patreon pages or leave us a great review on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for more people to find us and join in the conversation. The links to Apple Podcasts and both of our Patreon pages are easy to find right there in the show notes. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our regularly scheduled discussion of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 2, Episodes 17 through 19. Until then, we're not going to fight your war. We're going to end it.